Whew. Here I am, all alone. No Will Hunter. But I do have you beautiful people that have decided to tune in to another edition of Locked on Spartans. Today is Wednesday. It is February 19th. And we've got, I hope to be, a solid episode for you guys. Uh, we'll start off by breaking down the offensive coordinator, Jay Johnson. Uh, that news broke after Will and I recorded in yesterday's episode. So we will tackle that. Uh, segment two, we're going to jump around all over the place. I think there's another coaching rumor that's out there. Uh, there's a great question by a Twitter follower. And uh, you guys know me by now. I'm a bracketology junkie. I'm an addict and I will not go to rehab for it. So I will bring that up as well in segment two. And in segment three, we have the wonderful, charismatic Chris Castellani. Locked on Tigers podcast host. And not only that, but really, I mean, just a good mind to have around Michigan, Michigan State sports. So he'll be joining us in the third segment. Definitely looking forward to that as well. All right. Uh, let's see. Will usually does this, so I hope I nail it. Uh, make sure you rate Review and subscribe to Lockdown Spartans wherever you get podcast. And man, oh man, I guess well, we'll just we'll just get this rolling. All right. Mel Tucker has had some coaching hires already. He's got 10, 11 spots to fill up. Uh, he's getting there. It's going to be a process, obviously. Uh, a, it's uh, well, a new coaching staff you got to fill out. And B, it's uh, guys, you've heard us talk about this like broken record players. It's February. It's not the sexiest time to hire a coaching staff, but hey, here we are, and dang it, Mel is just trying his best. Uh, I got to say, I mean, been pretty pleased with what he's got so far. He's kept Ron Burton. More than fine with that. Okay. Defensive line coach has done great for Michigan State. He's kept Trestle. Another coach. Solid. Already knows the ins and outs of Michigan State. Can't knock that. But he has brought over a guy as well from Colorado. We talked about it yesterday a little bit. Coach Kapilovic. So sorry if I'm screwing up that name. I'll call you Coach Cap for now, though. I think that's going to work better. Now, I'm already high on him. He's the offensive line coach. And in just one year, Colorado last year. And this is all I need. Just being, you know, the rabid MSU fan I am. All I need is just one stat to latch on to for an offensive line coach. Uh, when he took over, they they were one of the worst teams as far as protecting the quarterback went in the Pac-12. I think they were, if not last place, I believe they were second to last place. In his one year, in his one year, he took that offensive line and made them the second best offensive line at protecting the quarterback. Number, I believe, 30 in the nation, I want to say, in sack percentage. The only team above them in the Pac-12 was Washington State, and that's because they get the ball out roughly in .3 seconds when they snap the ball. So, uh, big coach cap guy. Now, the biggest coaching hire he's made so far, for a few reasons, is the offensive coordinator, Jay Johnson. He's been around for 20-some years, just around the game of football. He's bounced around different places. He started all the way back at Southern Mississippi, went over to Louisville, Central Michigan. And he's also been at Louisiana from 2011 to 2015. Minnesota's offensive coordinator in 2016 was a offensive quality control coach from 17 to 2018 at a little school called Georgia. 
and most recently just the one-year stint at Colorado. So why is this so big? You don't need me to tell you why this is big. Um, If you watch any, we'll call it series, not even a game, a series of MSU football in the last few years, you know that uh, we are the way we are because of the offense. It's not been great. So when you're going out and hiring a new offensive coordinator to your staff, that's going to put some eyeballs on you, Jay Johnson. Now, Burton, we knew. Treadwell, we knew. Fine. That's great they're saying around. I've got no strong opinion one way or another. My light opinion is that, great. That's that's good. Coach Cap, I, I can't find anything that he's done that wouldn't make me like him so far. So I'm all in on him. Jay Johnson is one guy. Guys, I'm going to shoot you straight on a scale of 1 to 10. I'm squarely at a 5 right now. I don't really think I have a strong opinion. And I know that's such a boring take to have. It's such a tremendously awful, boring take to have when we are doing this whole coaching search and putting the pieces of the puzzle together because we want instantaneous results. We want instantaneous opinions. So I've got some opinions that are fairly good on him, some that are like, uh, should we worry about this or not? So that's why I'm at a five right now as Coach Johnson. So let's take this back, and we'll just start at his most recent stints. We're going to just start, kick it off in 2011 when he spent a few seasons with Louisiana. Over that stretch of time, five years, let me preface this. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself here. One stat that I really latch on to gravitate to when it comes to judging an offense which I feel like is fair, and everyone's got their own stats that they like to lean on. But the stat I like to lean on is yards per play. I feel like that's a, a fairly good one. It's a easy enough stat to understand where someone dumb like me can use it. But also, it kind of spans across the pass game, run game, and really just shows how efficient the offense is per play. So I'm going to set the table with that right there. So Jay Johnson from 2011-2015 at Louisiana, his offenses averaged, that's a drum roll, 5.74 yards per play, which if you just took that average and put it against Division I football last year, that would rank around 50. Okay, it's not bad. Not bad. His best year was his second year there, 6.7 yards per play. That got him ranked fifth nationally at Louisiana. It's not Not small potatoes. It's kind of a big deal, so we like that. Um, So since then, one-year stint at Minnesota. 4.9 yards per play there at Minnesota, outside the top 100. We don't really like that. However, they did go 9-4 and in that season, so you know he did a good enough job to keep Minnesota's head above water. And there were also nine games with the Gophers, the Golden Gophers, excuse me for slandering them. There were at least nine games when Minnesota scored at least 26 points. Who wants to hear a kind of a sad stat to put perspective around that? Oh, you do? No, you don't? Okay, well, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Uh, MSU has scored at least 26 points nine times in their last two seasons combined. In their last two seasons combined. So, that's... uh... That's where we're starting, basically, with this. And I kind of say that because, really, Jay Johnson is not the splashiest guy, not the biggest name, but 
when you're coming off the last two years, I, it, it's, it's going to be a, the only way to go is up situation. So with that said, we'll crawl ourselves into 2019 Colorado football season. This is where I'm going to have a lot of differing opinions on how things went. On one hand, of course, he only had one year with them, just like he had Minnesota. He had one year to get everything installed, one year to learn his guys, one year to work with players that really he, he didn't choose to, to coach, I suppose. I mean, man, he, he did his best. He did his best. So 2019 Colorado was the same situation. One year to do it. 5.4 yards per play. 81st in the country, so just a little on the wrong side of average, but close enough to it. But he also had a really uh, solid offensive line. He had LaVisca Chenault, a first-round, assuming I said that name right, a first-round draft pick at receiver, and a four-year starter at quarterback. Now, with that said, you, you listen to all that. Solid offensive line. Dynamic playmaker at receiver. Four-year starting quarterback. You think maybe he could have done better on one hand. But then on the other hand, I start to think, well, okay, once again, I'll say for the 80th time, he was just there one year. And with that, when you're running an offense that has a little bit of RPO, a little bit of spread, really hodgepodge of a lot of different styles, very similar to what MSU did last year, to be honest. When you're running that with a quarterback who necessarily doesn't really like to use his legs, which is the situation they ran into last year, that kind of bottles up what they could do with their offense that they were trying to establish. Quarterback really didn't fit. I know he's a four-year starter. There's something to be said about that. But he wasn't necessarily the prototype that they wanted for that offense it looked like. And you know who has a good breakdown of this, actually, is none other than one Will Hunter. Uh, If you are on Twitter.com, if you are on that beautiful website where everyone's just so happy all the time, uh, go to his account at Will underscore underscore Hunter. He highlighted a few plays, and I liked a few things there. He highlighted some RPO designs uh, that could have worked if they had a quarterback that could run. Um, And really... Overall, yeah, there are some similarities with Colorado's offense and MSU's offense, especially with, you know, kind of plain conservative. But with that said, Will's also pointed out a few plays on his Twitter feed where Colorado does kind of like to open it up a bit. Up six, two minutes left, still throwing the ball downfield 15 yards, slinging the rock 95 yards downfield. I, I Just home run plays, It's just wow, that's are we, are we going to be allowed to do that in East Lansing? So there's a lot to consider here, and it's just one of those situations where you're not going to get a clear answer until I was going to say the end of year one. Let's be honest, probably closer to the year of I mean, the end of year two or three if he sticks around for that long. He's been in the game for 20 years. He's had success wherever he's gone. Nothing overwhelming, though. He's not the hot shot name that a lot of people want with the assistant pool. But with that said, once again, this is something that Will and I talked about yesterday. It's February, guys. We're up against the clock. you got to find people that you're just comfortable with at this point in the offseason. And that's where Tucker is right now. And who knows what Jay Johnson can do his first year here. Who knows what he could, he could do his second year anywhere. It's been a while since he's been at a place for 
more than two seasons. So I know no one wants to hear the P word right now, but it might take a little bit of patience. Might take a little bit of patience here with Jay Johnson. I'm not going to say he's going to be great. Definitely not going to say he's going to be terrible. But that's that's what you got right here. You got a guy that's going to run some offense similar to what MSU did. Dial up. Dial up. The home run plays a little bit, hopefully. And then we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. We'll see where the rest of the coaching staff, how the rest of the coaching staff fills out. And we'll we'll start the next segment with that, actually. There, there's one name that's being thrown around that I think is pretty interesting that we should talk about. All right. We'll be back in just a hot second. All right. Well, uh, I'm back. And I certainly hope you guys are back. I pray to God that first segment didn't go so awful that you guys have tuned uh, tuned away already. But we're going to go for it. So. There's been a lot of names flying around, uh, but there's one name in particular that has been rumored for a wide receiver's coaching spot on the staff, and that is none other than familiar face, if you were around in the late 80s. I was not, but I was told he's a familiar face. Uh, Courtney Hawkins, former MSU standout receiver, Courtney Hawkins. That is certainly interesting to say the least. Now, why is that interesting? He, he hasn't coached collegiately, at least not that I've seen, and I've tried to do some research on it. Um, he has not coached collegiately. <laughs> he, is, uh, he has not been around the NFL either since 2000, after carving, may I say, a, a very impressive eight, nine-year career. That's nothing, absolutely nothing to sniff at. But that is pretty interesting for that to be a name rumored around. So right now he is at Flint Beecher High School. That's also the same high school he tore it up when he was in high school as well. Uh, he's the select director. I believe he coached football there. But if that's true that they're bringing him in, uh, fascinating. And it's also, above anything else, just a blatant, transparent, hey, we need a recruiter in here. When it comes to a position coach like that, it's hard not to look at it and being like, okay, that's that's awesome that you coach that one position, but... Can you recruit my man? And Mel Tucker knows that he's got to win Detroit. He's said it. He knows he's got to win Ohio. He's, you know, just win the Midwest, everything like that. But how do you start? Start with Courtney Hawkins. Flint native isn't a bad place to start. It'd be interesting, though. It's going to be interesting if that actually unfolds. And that's really all that can be said about it is just a big, huh? Uh, but really, when you think about it, yeah, it's a position coach that you can just put on your staff and really, yeah, it'll say receivers coach. Let's be honest, it's, it's bonafide recruiting guy. Um, nothing's official on that yet. Again, all just a rumor. And there's been a lot of names rumored around from this college, from this college. But what, when you hear a guy's name rumored that hasn't coached in the college game before and has really only coached high school ever since he's left the NFL, that perks the eyebrow up a little bit, so I just wanted to bring that up as well. All right, we're going to cycle into basketball here for a hot second really quick. Yesterday, like, honestly, seconds before we started recording, we got a good tweet from Mr. Dustin Smith. Uh, one time for the question. That's a great question. Uh, and it is, question for the pod. How much different would this season be if either Nick Ward came back or Vernon Carey committed? This is assuming Langford and Hauser situations stayed the 
same. Okay, who wants to do a sad hypothetical? Um, no, that's honestly a very good question, and I think each of us would be lying to ourselves a little bit if we said that we haven't thought about that at some point this season, whether it's Ward coming back. A fine player at the five could play a little bit before. Just, wow. Him and Tillman just sharing the court once again for another season. How delightful. Or Vernon Carey, player of the year candidate. Pretty, pretty good at basketball. Trying not to be salty that he's still committed to Duke like every other recruit does when it comes down to us and Duke. Anyway, anyway. There's another name, too, that I've thought about as well. And don't ask me why, because I can't explain the way I live my life. But the team I've watched the most this college basketball season, besides Michigan State, is actually Washington. Again, I have no idea how I've fallen on Washington basketball so many times. But uh, I guess one time for Fox Sports 1 and their 10 p.m. tip-offs, I suppose. Anyone remember the name Isaiah Stewart by any chance? He is on the Washington basketball team, but do you know who else he was on? He was on Michigan State's recruiting radar. He is also a big man. That's an absolute beast. That would look fantastic on this team. So between Ward, Carey, Stewart, all we have is just what ifs. And I got to say, what are the what ifs? In the year of the big man in the Big Ten, I like to think having one of those players would have put us in a little different spot here so far this season. I know we've talked ad nauseum about it, that after Tillman, who are the big men? They are a gaggle of really just reserve rotational players. Bingham struggles to stay on the court for lengthened minutes. Marble's a freshman. Kithier is just a, a, a wee bit undersized. Don't get me wrong, they're fine players. But right now in their careers, that, that's all it is. Fine. Ward was solid. Beyond solid, really. Carey? Here's a hot take. Yeah, the National Player of the Year candidate. Pretty damn good at basketball, I would say. Stewart? Yeah, I think it could have figured out a, a place for him on this team. So in the year of the big man in the Big Ten, I mean, you got Tillman. God bless Tillman. Solid player. Strong player. But another number two in that front court would have been nice. And it's hard not to think about where MSU would be right now. I don't think they lose four of the last five games. I, I don't think they're in danger of starting their Big Ten tournament on a Thursday. I'd like to think that. Now, I don't think they would still be the number one team in the country. They, they do have faults still. They're not wing players that we could just plug in. But yeah, life would be a little better. But it's not all bad right now. I mean, it could be worse. We could be North Carolina. We could be North Carolina. I'm just going to keep telling myself that. We could be North Carolina right now. That's, you talk about a, <laughs> ooh, a tough season. <laughs> so it could be worse. At the end of the day, this is still a solid team. A flawed team? Sure. I Just pick one podcast episode after any loss in the last few weeks and you would know where the flaws are. It's, you don't really have a point guard that could spell Cassius Winston reliably. 
your wing players go, I was going to say in and out, but as of late, more out than in. And the big man depth just isn't there. You fix one of those problems, yeah, you probably got a few more wins. Yeah, you're probably still in the Big Ten title hunt. But they're not. We just got to live with that. The team's got to live with that. But we're also living with a team that's solid. As Will says, that plays in a very tough Big Ten. And once the tournament gets going, the first two-game stretch is probably going to be one of the easier two-game stretches they've had since, really, the non-conference play. Let's just follow right into bracketology right now. I feel like that's a good transition. I don't know. Usually Will's the master of transitions. Um, you guys may have heard of Joe Lenardi. He is the ESPN bracketologist man. Uh, I check him religiously. Uh, starting honest in November, it's a problem I have. Uh, but hey, you know we we all got we all got our problems. Mine just happens to be bracketology. Um, right now he's got MSU at the sixth seed, playing the winner of the USC Georgetown game, uh, and then you would have the winner of West Virginia South Dakota should you win that. So right now we're looking at a six seed line. There's another pretty reliable guy out there too who we like. He's not as known because he's more of a local guy. Will knows him. His name is Joe Cook Sugart of 131sports.com. He updates his bracketology religiously, which is great. And the guy's great with numbers, solid at math. He doesn't break it out into regions, sections, or anything like that. But right now he has MSU as a five seed. A five seed sharing that with Oregon, Butler, and Colorado. Right behind them is Ohio State, Marquette, Arizona, Iowa, just to give you perspective of where they are in relation with other Big Ten teams. Penn State's also a four seed in his breakdown. So yesterday I called out Jerry Palm and said, well, I didn't call him out, but I mentioned Jerry Palm had us as a seven seed. Will said that's not really a reliable source. I kind of knew that already, but I'm just grasping any certain thing I could possibly get. So right now it looks like to be at a five or a six from the reliable people that we like to trust. I certainly do. And just one more bracketology just because I'm a fiend for this stuff. Uh, USA Today also has us as a five seed as well against Stephen F. Austin uh, in Cleveland, though. So we'll take that. Okay, so that's where MSU stands. Five or six right now. We know we got a tough stretch coming up ahead. But MSU's not on the bubble just yet, guys. They're going to be okay. And I know sometimes I need to run myself of that too. But that's just where we stand. All right, after this break, we will be back with Chris Castellani. Castellani, hope I know how to say his name before that. Uh, all right, we'll see you in a bit. Beautiful people of Locked On Spartans, this is a big segment, massive segment, because I am joined by the one, the only. You've seen his videos on Twitter. He is the strapping gentleman that's ranting and raving about all things Michigan, Michigan State, and Detroit sports. Chris Castellani. Chris Castellani. I already screwed it up. <laughs> I've heard a lot worse, man. Uh, thank you. That's a, a very kind introduction. I appreciate it. No, thanks a ton for joining me, man. And not only are you the newest Locked on Tigers host, Chris, for this episode, I'm going to anoint you Big Ten Commissioner. First question for you, you get to blast one Big Ten team into the sun, never to be seen again in the Big Ten Conference. Who are you blasting off into space? <sighs> The last five years, the answer was so very clearly Rutgers. Yes. But yes. with with the job that Steve Peichel's doing there, and with the hiring of Greg Schiano, which for uh, 
the time being should stabilize them. It makes that argument a little bit tougher, but I'm I'm still going with them. I, I just think they they have absolutely not carried their weight in the Big Ten. I talked about this a little bit when Michigan beat Rutgers last year, where the bar, if you're a, a college football team especially, in this day and age where resumes are so important and big wins are so important and style points mm-hmm. are so important, uh, in order to have a victory over Rutgers be considered a quality win, you have to win by 60, 50 points. And and that's not what they believed they were getting when they brought them into the Big Ten. I, in general, thought it was a fairly ill-advised move to bring them in. I get why they did it. Sure, you know, sure. Delaney wanting to appeal to that, that New York market. And it did open up things from a geographical standpoint. You get to have more games, including uh, an entire tournament. Uh, every four years or so at Madison Square Garden, but uh, they haven't been able to carry their weight, and they're they're getting better. Uh, I think what the basketball team has done this year is uh, remarkably admirable. They're trending upward, but if I got to pick one, uh, you still have to go with the team that has been more consistently at the bottom than any other uh, than any other program or university in the Big Ten. Okay, so we're locked up on that one because I'm packing them in and sending them to the Sun as well. Awesome. Same, awesome. Yeah. Love it. So you you are a, a Michigan fan, is is that correct? That that is your number one college team. I'm gonna go that would, that would be a, a correct assessment. Yes. So and you're also like many of us, uh, very online. Uh, is Chris? Let's be. Is this rivalry fun or, or no? I, I can't tell for the life of me if this is a fun rivalry or if this is just to the point where this is a little too toxic. Toxic, and I think there is legitimate hate out there. Set the record straight, Chris. Is, is this a fun rivalry? For the long time, it wasn't. For okay, me. Uh, and I'm I'm sure I I made thing when growing up in Spartan country as a a Michigan fan. I'm sure I didn't make things particularly easy on myself. And uh, I I guess it was maybe I don't know maybe after college, um, you know, you try to look at things a little bit more objectively. And there are still some very not fun points to this rivalry. And I think it is uh, I to me still a top five most toxic uh, rivalry to me in all of college sports uh, in terms of the, the amount of vitriol that, that goes into the hatred between these two teams. And it's, it's I, I think, fairly equal on both sides. There's just, it's just two uh, differing ideologies that are just never going to get along. It, um, it you, you open your eyes to it uh, the older you get when you start to see, especially because when you're young, um, everyone acts stupid and everyone judges oh, sure, people sure. for the dumbest stuff. But the older you get and, and you see the kind of ugliness underneath where you meet, you'll meet certain people, whether it be professionally or elsewhere, who will have a, a predisposed notion of not you as a sports fan, but you as a person simply for the team you like. And, and you know, my goal through a lot of this has been able to be objective and try to rise above that. I've gotten to a point now where uh, it is, it's more fun than it's ever been. But I completely understand anyone who says that uh, they they don't enjoy uh, this rivalry. It is uh, it it takes a lot out of you every time these teams play. Uh, totally, a hundred percent. And that leads me to my next question here. Now you come out with videos all the time on Twitter. You're very fair to all the teams that you talk about, whether that's brutal honest truth or just really just shouting them out, giving them accolades that they deserve too. When it comes to talk about MSU, is it hard for you as a Michigan fan to even talk nice about them? Because I know for me as a diehard State fan, I couldn't do what you do about Michigan. I couldn't hop on and just say how great of a season you guys are having or whatnot. 
How on earth do you do it? It's got, like I said, much like the rivalry, it's gotten a lot easier. I, okay. I think that... Just growth, yeah. There's growth, and, and it's the fact that I've seen... I'm the only generation that has seen this much bad University of Michigan sports. I mean, you go through any other era, mm-hmm. you know nothing but success. You know nothing but Big Ten titles and nothing but you beat Ohio State and you get into the Rose Bowl. Sure. I mean, I was the fr- I've been the first to experience... Uh, that downfall to experience the three and nines and the five and sevens and the three coaches and, you know, three, four coaches in 10 years. I mean, that's unlike any generation of Michigan fan ever. And I think there is, uh, at least my hope is that there is a, a generation of people around my age who have been uh, humbled by that experience. And in that meantime, we've seen basketball is its own thing because mm-hmm. we've, I, I've never, I've never known a, a Michigan state basketball program that's had been anything other than high expectations and, and overwhelming success. But I think where the tide really turned was in football seeing. And I think that w- one of the weird turning points for me where I started to kind of open my eyes to uh, the ever changing world of the sport that is college football was uh, was 2013. I, I mean, there's 2013 through 2015, but 2013 especially, where because even up until then, as much as Michigan had struggled and as much success as Michigan State had had against Michigan in that rivalry, winning those uh, four years in a row from 08 to 2011, and then mm-hmm. uh, you know dominating in 2013, it was there was still that caveat of look, Michigan State's very good right now. Michigan's not very good right now. But the uh, the chapter will not be complete. This book will not be uh, finally fully written until Michigan State makes the Rose Bowl and and uh, wins an outright Big Ten championship. And I think throughout that season in 2013, uh, many people, including myself, believed that that was never really going to be a possibility. And it wasn't until uh, you know Braxton Miller got stopped on that fourth and one with about five minutes left in the 2013 Big Ten championship game, Great when times. I think everything changed. And over the next several years. Years uh, and including the you know everything up until that in 2013, Michigan State went through a, an unprecedented period of success, and we've seen a, a more evenness. The scales have been more balanced in this rivalry over the last ten years than they ever have been. I, I mean, there was the stat that somebody came out with. I, I can't recall who did it. Where you know, D'Antonio beat Michigan eight out of thirteen years. They've done it eight times in the previous forty-three. You know, as a fan, yeah, yeah. that that's gun that's gonna humble you, and it's gonna open your eyes to things that other that other generations understandably probably haven't seen and to keep it to football as well when mel tucker was hired i think he had a video you weren't too jazzed about it uh from an msu perspective i guess i mean why is that and and do you still stand with that Uh, i mean i'm sure that you haven't changed your uh, opinion on that in the last few days but yeah just what are are your thoughts on the tucker hiring to a certain extent i have and i think that you know, in the world of Twitter, you know, it, it's very instantaneous. Oh, totally, yeah. And my my initial reaction, which I you know I made two videos, and my initial reaction was uh, very underwhelmed because mm-hmm. understandable, it, it, yeah. Because it, what I knew was all all that I knew was his his coaching record, which was you know the year he had at Colorado, which you have to take with a grain of salt. Colorado, not a football powerhouse. It's sure, one sure. season with somebody else's players. Um, I I still think. Uh, there is a lot of question marks. Now, after Fickle, anyone that they were going to hire was going to have question marks. Everyone they hired was going to have blemishes and warts coming into this. I mean, there was not going to be a home run hire. I think his recruiting record uh, is is a, a major plus. It's a low risk, uh, it's a low, or I'm sorry, it's a high risk, high reward situation to me. I could, it wouldn't shock me at all uh, to see him flame out because he's unproven. 
but it wouldn't stun me either to see him have overwhelming success because he's also unproven. I mean, this is not a guy who's had a ton of time uh, in you know in the spotlight as a head coach. You know, a lot of history, uh, worked for a lot of different programs. Um, there's definitely blemishes on his his record in terms of you know he hasn't been hasn't really recruited in the Midwest since 2004. Uh, I, I I like the hire more over this last week or so. Uh, I'm still not super crazy about it, but I I understand that's fair. the the uh, the excitement because I think that there is a clear connection to Michigan State. He's clearly a guy who wants to be there, which uh, in, in that aspect is similar to uh, what D'Antonio was when he was hired, which is a guy who's gonna bleed ma- uh, Mason Blue is gonna bleed green and white. I, I hope he doesn't bleed Mason. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Mason yeah. So, and on the flip side too, I, I think this was a few months ago. I'm not really sure how long ago, but you also had a video calling Cassius Winston the, the best Big Ten point guard you've seen in your lifetime. I think we're pretty similar in age two. And when I saw that video, I was like, you know what? He might have a point there. Now, obviously, since then, MSU season hasn't panned out to, to what it is. Do you do you still stand by that catch? Because I've had that internal debate with myself as well, if he's still the best point guard that I've seen, not just at MSU, but also in the Big Ten. What, what are your thoughts now that a few weeks have passed on into the season? He's, he's neck and neck with me with Trey Burke. Sure, that's uh, more I, than fair. I think that at their best um, – I, I it's it's hard to explain. I mean, I've seen them both do unbelievable things. I'm gonna have a personal bias with Burke always. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, like I said, the instantaneous reaction to Twitter that was a game where Cassius went for 32 totally uh, and 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 nine against uh, against Michigan, played an unbelievable game. I, I also expected after saying that that Michigan State's uh, this Michigan State team was going to start to build off that, and at that point they were as close to rolling as they'd been all season. You know, they did get off to a 5-0 start in the Big Ten, and it seemed like his legacy was going to continue to grow. And not that he's hurt his legacy at all. I mean, he's only, you know, he's... Pet, you know, his padded stats. He's he's gotten up the list to become the all-time assist leader in Big Ten history. Uh, I would, to me, he's him and Burke are one A and one B. Uh, you know, score first point guards with the ability to distribute. Um, Cassius is one minor blight would probably be defensively, but for the most part, I feel like he hasn't been as exposed as a defender as uh, I feel like he probably could have been at this point. And part of that is just he's such an offensive weapon that you uh, you, you almost forget about. That's true. That's true. And I, just because this is an MSU podcast and i got to have some fun with you here, um, most – and I'm, I'm sorry, this is such a mean question. No, you're fine. What, what's the most devastating loss to MSU that you've watched as, an, as a U of M fan? Uh, I mean, it's not it's not even close. It's okay. trouble with the snap. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, 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 is that easy? Okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's not even it, – there's – not only in uh, – to Michigan State in uh, in any sport, it, it's mm-hmm. the worst to me. That one and, – and I – when the anniversary of that play happened in 2018, I had kind of a tweet thread about that. I think what makes that tweet – or I'm sorry, what makes that play uh, so uh, devastating is that it's – it's had a lasting effect that I think some people have been afraid to admit to. I mean, if if Blake O'Neill catches that punt, Michigan State doesn't win the Big Ten. Uh, Ohio State does. It chain and Michigan most likely goes eleven and two in Harbaugh's first season. That's eleven wins, which is something that's not bad. Yeah, which something five years in is something they still haven't done. They still haven't gotten to that eleven win threshold. Um, you know, it or D'Antonio has you know one and a half. Big Ten titles as opposed to the the two and a half or three that he has right now. 
it, it changed the legacies of Harbaugh and Meyer and D'Antonio, and I think uh, ult- MSU goes on to, to make the college football playoff. That uh, that one will always sting the most. There's really not even anything beyond that that's that close of a second. You know, some of the losses last year, remember the Big Ten tournament loss last season was, was mm-hmm. frustrating, but that one... That was one where it took me a few days to, to even uh, watch any football at all. I mean, that was uh, that one. Oh, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. A lot of fun. Uh, all right. So Locked on Tigers coming out within the next week or two weeks, I think you said, before we started recording. Um, listen, I, I love baseball. I, I know that you absolutely love baseball. But I got to ask, with this Tigers team, this might be a hot take. I don't think they're going to win 105 games this year necessarily. No. Chris, how on earth are you going to keep the passion and, and, and do a Lockdown Tigers podcast? Well, that's <laughs> it might not always be easy, for sure. I think last year's team achieved a weird level of entertainment value just in the sense that it seemed like there was no way things could possibly get worse, and every time <laughs> they did. You know, I mean, it got to a point beyond just guys oh. underachieving and guys underperforming. I mean, you had... Fights in the media. You had Verlander blocking a, a reporter from getting into the clubhouse. I mean, it was it was something new every day. You know, the trade deadline was you know so, somewhat of a disaster. And yeah. I, it, I think this year, um, I think expectations are obviously and should be remarkably low. This is going to be a, a 100 plus loss baseball team. The one silver lining, and this has been the silver lining really over the last several years, has been the fact that the future is closer than it's been in a while. Hey, I am I go. am yes, I am confident in the fact that in 2020 we will see one, two or all of the following players. Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Tariq Scubal, Alex Fiedo. And that is for a farm system that has that is good, probably should be great, but is good, it's undeniable that there is a core of pitching prospects that any farm system right now would kill to have. And as bad as things are and as bad as things are going to be, I mean, if it would be an achievement at this point if they keep it under 100 losses. There is a, a dim light at the end of the tunnel knowing that some of these uh, draft picks are, are going to start uh, putting on the old English D here pretty soon, and mm-hmm. uh, there will be a, an additional uh, you know amount of fun to cover in the fact that they do still have the number one pick this year. I mean, they are going to add to that core here pretty soon. You would love to see the rebuild uh, get sped up. We all would, but the unfortunate reality at this point is it just doesn't seem like they're particularly willing to spend on some of the the big time free agents that we would like to see them spend on, but. There is a, it's not always going to be easy, but I, I look forward to, to the challenge and, and I look forward to talking Tigers. Love it, man. I, I can tell you're ready to go, man. That's awesome. Um, you're you're, you're going to rock and roll. I know you're going to do a great job locked on Tigers. You do a great job with your videos all the time on Twitter. If for some reason you're not already following him, it's at Castellani at, no, sorry, Castellani2014 on Twitter. Uh, locked on Tigers, dude, you're, you're going to absolutely kill it there. I cannot wait to listen to this. this it's going to be awesome. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. No, I appreciate you joining me, Chris. I really do. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for Lock on Spartans today. Wow. What a what a journey we all took. Uh, Will, we miss you. Thank you so much for Chris uh, to, to help me out in this third segment here. And all right. Well, we'll see you guys later.